Welcome along to episode eight of the Loftcast, QPR's very own official club podcast. I'm Ian Taylor from the QPR media team, and today I'm not joined by Andy Sinton, unfortunately. He's off sunning himself in Marbella ahead of this weekend, but I am joined by my esteemed media colleague, Paul Morrissey. This week we'll be reflecting on our weekend trip to Sheffield Wednesday and building up to our second West London derby of the season, the small matter of a Friday night game under the lights against local rivals Brentford. We'll also be catching up with midfielder Jordan Cousins, director of football Liz Ferdinand, and this guy. What a half an hour we've got in prospect here. Oh, what a goal that is! Absolutely brilliant by Rollins. And Queen's Park Rangers finally have the breakthrough in such style. Absolute belter! Martin Rollins, welcome to the Loftcast. Thanks for joining us ahead of uh, this big game on Friday night. First things first, what are you doing with your time at the moment? Doing podcasts with you. So. <laughs> um, no, to not, you. not too much, to be honest. Um, trying to find what I'm going to do in the next phase. And I've got the first sort of coaching badges, but I'm not sure that's for me. So just just had a couple of years with the family and a bit of time out, really. I've been getting back into watching games and, and stuff. So I'm not sure. I'd like to get back involved in football somehow, but I've got a few other bits in the background that I sort of do and a few, a few investments that I've made in the past. So sort of concentrating on them and... And looking for something new to do, really. A footballer has been streetwise with their money, Marze. I know, yeah, few and far between. But <laughs> very few. <laughs> yeah, I suppose there's never. People always think as soon as you finish, you got to go straight into coaching, straight into media, whatever. I mean, there's no harm in doing exactly what you're doing and, and taking 18 months or two yeah. years out to see where you do want to go next. Yeah, it, sometimes when you're in it, if you if you remain at a club and you get to the end of your career and you people can generally roll on and stay there going into the coaching of the youth or the under 21s or 23s mm. as it is now. But sometimes I think it's good to stay, take a step back, maybe have a look out at what you possibly do want to do. Or I just don't think coaching is necessarily for me because well, people don't really last in jobs too long these days anyway, as we know ourselves. Yeah. But I look at people that have gone into it who are friends like Gaz has gone into it straight from playing and he's done a fantastic job on a shoestring at mm. Wickham you know yeah. and, and he's loving it he's absolutely loving it but he's doing a ridiculous amount of hours purely because the clubs don't have budgets and stuff in the lower level like, like they do at the high level lot, yeah. he's having to do everything the scouting the coaching the managing you know and it's it's a very tough job the lower down you go but he's doing a great job and there's people I've looked at to think, would I possibly go down that route? But I think I'd rather possibly be a bit more in the background. Because mm-hmm. it's a people always, commitment. And it? people always say, oh, footballers, you know, they only do nine till 12 and then they have the rest of the afternoon off to play golf or go to a snooker yeah. or whatever. But the reality is somewhat different. For nine months of a season, it's a pretty intense schedule. So yep. then you do have your six to eight weeks off in the summer. If you play under Jimmy Floyd Asselbank, it's more like four weeks in the summer. But it is pretty good just to down tools if you can if you can afford to for 18 months or two years and almost take check of your life and yeah no it is to like you say just step back from it a bit you know and it is the best job in the world and every kid dreams of doing it you know and so I'm not going to say it's tough in that sense it can be mentally tough because Mm. you've got to prepare yourself like you say for nine months every Tuesday and Saturday to prepare for a game you have to make sacrifices your friends might be doing stuff Mm. going out on the weekends going out Friday nights do it, so that's what lots you're of doing. You're things. making up for lost time now. Yeah, right? I'm just going out every night. Make up, <laughs> make up for 18 years of having to stay in. But no, it's a, 
it is. It, there is sacrifices that you have to make, but yeah. it is still the best job in the world, and and I don't think any player would would say it isn't. You know, and nice to be back here. Yeah. We're looking out as we record this onto Loftus Road. Um, it hasn't yeah. changed too much since your. No. Your time here, but uh, great to be back. I know you're here, and we'll talk about this later in the Loftcast. Um, you're here for the um, induction into the Forever Hours Club, but great to be back at Loftus Road yeah. whenever you can. Yeah, it's brilliant. I love coming back here, you know. And when you sit here now and we're doing this, and you look out and the ground's empty and the pitch is immaculate and stuff, it's surreal because on a match day, it's just a complete different atmosphere when you look out. That, that's just nice, it's quiet, you, you can, but then you come and when the atmosphere starts, that's when it really, when the ground really takes off for me. And I'd imagine your head's in a different place as well. When you're arriving for a match day, just mentally you're preparing for, for the match. You, you, yeah. You're not as relaxed as you, you probably are now when you, you're yeah. coming here to Yeah, even as, even as a fan coming down on a match day, you always have that little nervous thing, mm. let alone when you're playing. But yeah. coming down, you always think, how are we going to play today? How's the game going to go? Is, the, is so-and-so playing? What's going to be the tactics? You know, you're thinking about the game. When you come and you do this, you just can sit, relax and... Have a look I think we nice. find that as employees, don't we? You come in, in I mean, you're based at, at Harlington more so than Loftus Road, but you'll come here on a on a Saturday and you're, or, and, and certainly myself, based here Monday to Friday, you come here on a Saturday or a Tuesday for a game and the psyche is completely different. You do get those little butterflies in your stomach because you know that if you've had a good result, it makes your weekend. If you've had a poor result, it has the adverse effect. Exactly. Well, yeah, precisely, that's, yeah. that's exactly what the fans will, will be thinking. Obviously, they generally will only come on a match day, but that's what, their build-up will be that I'm sure as a player I have routines that I went through on match days and I'm sure a lot of the fans will where they get up what they'll maybe have for breakfast what yeah. they'll go for, where they'll go for a pint before yeah, the game yeah. who they'll meet they'll probably meet the same people go to the same pub yeah. walk up to the game mm. and you just hope that, that they routine? leave happy you know let's hope then that they do leave happy on Friday um, any split loyalties for you Martin Rodans going into this game on Friday night I think we all know the answer <laughs> that, we? we had to ask it. yeah no there's no split loyalties for me obviously I had five good years at Brentford and I enjoyed enjoyed four of them didn't really enjoy the last one there was a lot going on behind the scenes that, but that's just just life and then I, I moved on to here and, and I had a fantastic nine years at the club and there's absolutely no split loyalties, no. How big a decision was that move to come to QPR from Brentford? Because there is that locality factor, yeah. which as a player, Jake Bidwell spoke about it, you know, you haven't got to up, upheaval all your mm, family yeah. and the kids can stay in the schools, etc., etc. But you've also got that element of, I'm moving to a, a rival as such. Yeah, no, there was. Because what, what happened at the time, I was supposed to, to sign for QPR um, on the transfer deadline day, which was in March, sort of that that time, that it, it wasn't the two tiered windows. Yeah. So I was supposed to sign on the deadline day, which was the year of when QPR lost in the playoff final at Cardiff. Yeah. And um, it was all sort of arranged for it to happen, and then Brentford stopped it happening. For, I'm, I'm not even sure for what reasons because we fell out, and but then I broke my leg a week later at the club, and basically I. Had, they didn't really give me the medical care that I should have received. And there was other stuff in the, But that, that's all in the background in the past now. I still have fond memories of being there. My first season at Brentford, I had a great year. We got promoted. Yeah. I've got some good friends that, uh, that I still speak to from there. Back in the day, Lloyd Roos, who's Danny Box, who's people that are lifelong friends from that, you know. So I don't look back at the club with, with any disdain or anything. It's just it was a period I moved on and had a successful period when I came here. Brentford's loss was certainly QPR's gain. You played in five of these derbies for Brentford three times uh, and twice for for Rangers. Um, those two Rangers were one win, one nil and a 1-1 draw. What mm. makes these derbies extra special, as it were? 
Um, like you say, the locality is, because obviously it is a derby, the history is was always QPR, Chelsea, and probably more Brentford, Fulham. Mm-hmm. Mm. But now it's moved on to, obviously, Fulham moved on and Chelsea moved moved on and it came, they became the derby yeah. and Brentford have come up and, and QPR sort of is now the derby. But for me, it was it was... It was special because it, obviously there was a red hot atmosphere. Yeah, good game. We always play. psyched ourselves up for it, especially when I came here. We made sure that like, the first fifteen minutes is obviously the most important part of a derby. I think. Yeah. Win your first tackles, win your headers, play with high intensity, and get the crowd right behind you. You know, and it makes it extremely difficult for the other side. That's like, yeah. Everyone talks about oh, you know, the the twelfth man as such always. On, on any given Saturday, they always talk about the twelfth man can have a massive impact, but but more so in derby matches, you believe that? Yeah, because the the fans already come in with that. It's, this is a derby, you know. There's more intensity to it when there's a derby. I just think it's natural. You, you see it throughout the country in every game, don't you? There's there's just more intensity in derbies. But the fans here, are, you do get a great atmosphere if the, if the side's doing well and. and the team's playing with that intensity and there's tackles flying in and you, you know like you're pouring forward. But uh, on a derby, it just there's just that extra something special. And what? especially Friday night, it's going to be under the lights. Yeah. Mm. You know, it's, it's the perfect time to play a derby, I think, night games. What were um, Mark Bertram and Kev Gallen like in the lead-up to QPR v Brentford? Because obviously staunch QPR fans, mm. were they almost like fans in the dressing room, fans at the training ground saying this is this is a big game for players who perhaps um, weren't aware. So, Because so, fans always say, do the players know how much yeah. this means to us? Were they a little bit like fans on the inside? Well, I think going back to our era, I think we all knew what it meant to us all, you know. It meant a lot to everyone, didn't it? We, Our group of players were, every game really mattered, you know. But um yeah, they were good, obviously. They, we, we all were. We all G'd everyone up. And obviously, I took a bit of heat off them too anyway because I came across and mm. it meant that I got all the flack in the derby and they sort of got away with it a bit. <laughs> but we had like Gaz Ainsworth was here, then Cookie. I remember playing against Cookie, actually. He put the cross in for Birchie's header when I played for Brentford here when we drew one all, I think it was, that mm. game. Um, but yeah, he's, obviously, Birch scored that one. Then he scored the, the volley, didn't he, in the away game. I didn't play in that. I, that was after I'd broken my leg, so... There's that iconic image of him running to the away end, isn't there? Yeah, with the John Byrne shirt, shirt on. Yeah. Great, great times. And you, you talk about the atmosphere as well, and certainly winning first tackles goes a long way in derby matches. I think you saw that, although it wasn't a derby game, in the in the Bristol City game here, Rangers were on the front foot early on. Certainly the Fulham game, although we conceded a penalty very early on at Craven Cottage, Rangers for the first 20 minutes seemed to be at it, mm. and there were 3,200, 3,500, mm. whatever it was in the away end, and that does make a difference. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? When you've got yeah. the away impact, I know you've had some managers in the past saying we shouldn't be giving them the upper and lower tier, and some yeah. fans say that as yeah. well. And you can sort of understand it because you've—are you giving the away side too much of an advantage? Yeah. The flip side of that is when there are three thousand fans in the away end, there's always a reaction from the QPR fans. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the away fans are fantastic for QPR anyway. They—they they have been for many years. I remember when I first came. Obviously, they just missed out in the playoffs. Previously, they'd lost to Vauxhall Motors in the FA Cup. And the club was on a bit of a downer. The Cardiffs, when they lost to Cardiff in the mm-hmm. final that year, got everyone back on board. And especially, I came to the semi-final when we played Oldham here mm-hmm. and we beat them. And I mean, that was an unbelievable atmosphere. But that was sort of, that was sort of the final that night. Mm-hmm. Getting there yeah. and we celebrated like there were people on the pitch. And I remember watching, I hadn't signed at that point, but I sort of knew I was going to be signing. And I thought, you know, we're not there yet. Yeah. And then obviously we got to the final and it was disappointing. And I think we deserved 
to win, to be honest. I think we played really well, but obviously the following season, then we did. And but but by that point, the fans were back on board, mm, yeah. you know. And Oli had built that sort of siege mentality, and we, we and we and we charged on that year and had a great season, and got promoted. And it comes out towards David Jones. Is skipped through surely for Wednesday goal. It's onside. And it's finished tidily in the end by Gary Hooper. It was all a bit fortuitous, really, as the ball escaped to him. He was stranded inside the penalty area, unmarked, and Alex Smithies couldn't stop him. Wednesday break the deadlock. Sheffield Wednesday 1, QPR nil. Looking back then on the Sheffield Wednesday game at the weekend, Moz, I know you weren't there, I was. Um, would you have, obviously before the game, you look at a game at Hills or anything, tough place to go. I'm sure Martin will talk about this in detail in a bit, but... You'd have probably taken a point going into it, and personally, I felt we we deserved the point. Well, I think, like you say, I wasn't there, but I, I think, yeah, going into it, we're five unbeaten, and a lot of people were saying, keep the unbeaten run going, avoid defeat, then go into Brentford at home, and can can we extend it to seven, full of confidence? But from what I've seen, from what I've heard, it does sound like we were unlucky not to take something. Yeah, I mean, it was a it was a, a typical championship game, really. Um, ebbed and flowed from end to end um, mainly throughout the first half and they obviously got a goal against a, I certainly feel against the run of play when Gary Hooper um, scored just before half time and that was frustrating because Rangers up until that spell were well in the game Charon Cherry had a couple of efforts he was getting into good holes um, just behind uh, Idrissa Silla who started up front um, but then the longer it went on Rangers were having a lot of territory a lot of possession and then you just sense that it would just take one opportunity and they, we were right back in, in the game Nedman who had a a really good effort saved by their young keeper who I think Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank having interviewed him afterwards was disappointed because he was a rookie keeper. Um, Kieran Westwood was out injured and they had a rookie keeper in goal and we probably didn't test him enough. Fair play to him when he was called upon he made a couple of good stops but I think that was the the real frustration um, but like we were saying off off, off camera as it were um, in the build up to this Martin it's not an easy place to go Hills but you know no. what you're going to get you're going to have 25,000 plus home fans behind them um, a partisan home crowd and yeah. Sheffield Wednesday certainly under Car- Carlos Carvajal are a hard work and efficient side they are and to be fair I think they're going to be one of the sides that could be in the playoffs this yeah. year mm-hmm. as they were last year yeah as they were like, they've put some more some more money towards the club again and gone for it again obviously would Kieran I, Lee have been here when you were here I played with Kieran Lee here yeah, yeah. he came on loan here from he, United from United he? yeah he was a bit homesick to be fair when he yeah. came here he was only young he was and he's, he's he moved back up to Went back to United, then he went to Oldham. That's right. I think he did quite well at Oldham. Yeah. Played against him move. once when he was at Oldham, did well there, and obviously he's moved on to Sheffield Wednesday. And I think he's been there a good three or four years yeah, now, maybe he, longer. I'm not sure. Yeah, he wears the armband. I think he's vice captain yeah. as well, and he he looked yeah. a, he looked a good player. They got some good yeah. players. Though. You look at the likes of he's Fernando Forestieri from United, isn't yeah. he? You know what I mean? Yeah. So he, he was a good player when he was here. He was young, and he he looked like he needed to fill it's out. Quiet, but you could he? See, quiet, yeah, he was quiet, and you could see that he just wanted to go back home. To be fair, he was a young lad and. Being up in Sheffield, obviously, he can probably he's nearer home, so it might suit him. You know? Yeah, I suppose that is one of the challenges as well. If a player's going to a club, if they are that sort of personality, where they're a little bit quiet, a little bit introverted, yeah. which he was, he yeah, no disrespect to him, but he'd walk yeah. past you in the corridor, you did not even notice. Yeah, him he was very quiet because he was and, such and, a quiet. But lad. you could see he had quality as a player, and maybe giving him the armband or something like that that brings it out of people. Yeah. You know, maybe they feel like I've got to be a bit more out there, and mm. I'd, I'm not, I'm not sure. But you could see he had quality, and that's obviously shown through for him to go back to United, to Oldham, 
which is a drop, and then to to push back on again to get to Sheffield Wednesday, yeah, and to become captain, he's obviously doing doing well up there. Yeah, he was certainly good in the heart of midfield. I thought that Rangers had plenty of, like I said, plenty of possession. Um, Masluongo was at the heart of it again, as he seems to have been uh, all season long. Certainly, um, one of our most impressive players to date this season. We'll touch on on him with Martin slightly later in the show. The only downside again was going into the game is the injuries, Paul. Yeah, well, that, that's. I mean, how frustrating is it when? We play against Bristol City, we play well, win the game, and then he can't, the manager can't pick Cousins or Lynch because they both get injured in the game. Yeah. So even if he wanted that consistency and that continuity, it seems with each week he's not able to do it. Yeah. How, it's, it's, how much of an impact does it have? Even on the players that are playing, oh, we've now got to change the left yeah. back, we've got to change the centre midfield. The back four, the back four has changed every week, mm. owing to injury. Yeah. Yeah, well, the, as a player or a fellow player to somebody who gets injured. You never want to see your mate get injured or, or stuff. So you always feel that. But you you know you've just got to focus on the game. And whoever plays there, you've got to put your trust in them. And hopefully they do well and, and play well, whether the team changes or, or not. But for a manager, it's extremely frustrating, I can imagine, because you just start to get settled. You just start to do well. And like you say, you lose two players out of a winning game on the Tuesday night. Yeah. Got to go to the Saturday. You've got to make two changes. When you don't know for sure, but I'm sure you'd have probably liked to have kept the same personnel mm-hmm. And gone right. We try and get some consistency going now. And when you're forever changing, as you said, there, tells the if the back four is changing all the time, the keepers probably thinking who's going to be playing there. Mm. You know, a lot of the big successful sides over years, and even now, look at Leicester last year won the Premier League. They they did so hard, hardly any injuries. Consistent back four, literally the whole season. It means a lot because you get to know how everyone's playing well, that's uh, and, well, and the understanding of how everyone's playing. Exactly, is the players building little relationships yep. on the pitch. Well, full-backs in the centre-half, the two centre-halves themselves, the right-back, and the, you know, it, it does. And then they build stuff with the winger. So if you've got the same mm. wingers, they, they know how, and this, it, the consistency is massive. Yeah. Leicester's a great example because you yeah. look at, everyone talks about Mahrez having a great season last yeah. year and it was only because of those players around Drinkwater inside him, Simpson yeah. behind him, yeah. Vardy, Vardy ahead of him. And the two centre-halves, Morgan, Hoof, yeah. were fantastic. Fuchs, the left-back, yeah. he was brilliant. They, they, they all had literally their best season of possibly their careers. <laughs> yeah. And rightly so, they won the Premier League. They yeah. were fantastic. On the plus side, despite there being an injury to Joel Lynch, which made him uh, miss out on Saturday, that, that did mean a debut, a full first league start for Nico Hammerlein and Moz. And uh, you're in and around the training ground. He's quite a quiet kid, but when he steps over that white line, he's quite a confident kid and he expressed himself well at Hillsborough yeah so I, I always find it interesting to when a younger player comes in just to watch almost how they are with with their teammates and you get some youngsters who might come in and they almost don't want to not call for the ball but they're very quiet and just concentrating on themselves but Nico Hamalainen comes across like he's he's got that air of confidence he's self-assured yeah. that's what you want you need that, that, when a young lad comes in obviously they they can be quiet and withdrawn when they're in and around the players mm. but the minute like say training starts or the game starts when people like that i didn't see the game or i don't know much about the lad but when when that happens you think oh this kid's got something because the confidence comes yeah. through and then you know it, it, if they just come out put your chest out and you know i'm in the first team i'm playing yeah. end of story you know I've, i'm just gonna go out and i'm gonna play and i deserve to be here i've been put in the team so I want to play with the confidence. And you that's see, what you want to see. You could see there were instances during Saturday's game where he was slightly... He, I interviewed him after and he said that the noise when he walked out was unlike anything he'd ever heard yeah. on a football pitch. I almost wanted to put my arm around hmm. and say, you've know, <laughs> you got more big games like this yeah. to come. But you could see that 
there were areas of his game that he, he struggled a little bit with, but positionally he was very good. He was strong in the tackle. And I think spoke to Jimmy afterwards and he said, it's great that we're bringing players through now. And yeah. as, a, as a QPR brilliant. boy yourself, if you look at um, Shadipo, Kakai, Hamalainen, um, Chris Paul, Eberici, they've all been around the squad this mm. year. As a, as a Rangers man yourself, yeah. that's great to see players coming to through. See that come through because for years it's not happened. For years it's not happened. And I'm talking from when I was at the club. When I first signed, there was a couple of lads here. Richard Langley was here. He moved on. Then you had Rich Paquette who was here. He moved on. They didn't, no one really became around the first no, team mm-hmm. and, and became like the homegrown talents that the a lot of the other was Ray Jones. The, yeah. He was the closest. Well, Ray, you had and, and Ray would have. Do and Stefan Bailey who yeah. was sort of in and out, in and out. But yeah, Ray that was, was in the, the period. One. Ray, Ray was a fantastic player, you know. Was, Everyone says that and, and really you, was you look back on it, player. don't you? And obviously the tragic circumstances yeah. that he passed away. You played with him. How, how yeah, good was he? Where could he be now? Yeah, if, if well, I mean, still, if he was still the, the sky was the limit at that point. I mean, he came into the squad and trained a couple of times and he was 17, like in the youth team. Mm. Then he came in at 18 and he was just big, six foot three, six foot four, powerful. Yeah, He wasn't blistering quick, but he had enough of a turn of pace. He had a great left foot, decent in the air, good touch. Start. I mean, coached right and done right, you, do, you don't know where he could have gone. Yeah. But I mean, like you say, he, had all, the attributes. So he had all the attributes and he seemed to have a, a good head on his shoulders when he played and the stuff and was he was very laid back and, and chilled and stuff but he was no he was a really good player and he was the best of the bunch that when I was here coming through and after Ray I don't really remember many coming from the youth team coming through and playing no. hardly any games if any which is know? great and I think you've got to give give credit to the manager because yeah. he I saw some um, some quotes that he gave to the local press last week about, you know, because Olamide Shadipo's come on and you look at what he did at Fulham, he came on the almost single-handedly changed the game in the last 10 minutes. Mm. And there's been other games here that he hasn't started, other games where he has started and he's been our best player. But I think, it, it and you'll know this as a, a young player coming through, it's really important that the manager picks and chooses moments. You can't throw yeah. him into every game because no. that, that's unproductive for the kid going yeah. forward. Yeah, exactly. I mean, like you say, generally to give a young lad a debut or, or to bring him through is, would be best at home. It, it, circumstances change, but if you bring him in at home, yeah. the fans are going to want him to do well instantly. And yeah. fans he's get gonna, it, don't they? And they he's realize. at home. He's, yeah, exactly. It's, it's, he's going to want to do well. But as you said, you can't just throw... You can put... One in, pull him out, and then give him a few games. But you can't go like, right, we're going to put four in at the same yeah, time. Yeah. Which is what Jimmy's doing well with me, it, to be fair to it, it, It's going to bring... If they start to have a bad game or the game's going against the side, and you, it's like they could go into their shell and it could really affect their confidence for the future, you know? Mm. So it's a case of picking. And like you say, Jimmy's sort of done that, that well recently. We're now joined by QPR Director of Football, Les Ferdinand on the Loftcast to talk about football to Amsterdam. Les, why did you think cycling from London to Amsterdam next summer when you could be sunning yourself on a beach in Barbados or elsewhere was a good idea? I'm not sure it is a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, uh, it, the, the ride from London to Amsterdam is in, 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 in aid of uh, prostate cancer. Um, and I have family that have suffered from it. Uh, my granddad died of pros- prostate cancer. My dad's had prostate cancer. My uncles have had prostate cancer. So um, it's pretty prevalent in my family. So uh, it's about raising awareness. Um, my, the older generation in my family were probably unaware. Um, so that's why nothing, well, I say nothing has been done about it. Um, in my dad's case, he's, he's, he's recovered from it. My uncle's case, he's recovered from it. So um, it's about raising awareness. 
And especially black guys like yourself, you can be affected. The, the stats show that. Yeah, stats show that. Uh, I think it's one in four black men are likely to get get it, um, whereas uh, one in eight men altogether mm. will get it. So, you know, that's, that's alarmingly high. And when there's cures and things that can, you know, help the problem, then it's important that um, we do raise awareness so some men are routinely checking themselves. 145 miles in two days. That's uh, some feat. When does the training start? Training started already. Uh, Is it really? Yeah, I mean, I've I've often uh, because of my knee since playing football, I, I haven't been able to, to. I'm not able to run uh, around as much as I'd like to, uh, like on a treadmill or get outdoors and run. So uh, you know, I've, I have done a bit of bike riding. Um, I did uh, the Lalio Slam a few years ago, mm-hmm. which was from Rome to Nice, which was a serious amount of kilometres. <laughs> And um, you were going to swear there almost. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> no, I was. I was trying to remember. The, I think it was like something like seven hundred kilometres. Okay. Uh, and so just over. So um, that was that involved about four or five days of cycling. So there was just some pretty tough, pretty tough days in there. Um, and that got me into it. And, and ever since then, every now and again, you can see me around St Albans, Albans poodling around on my bike. And there was a rumour at the training ground that uh, Mr. Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank, given that it ends in Holland, there's really no excuses of him joining you this summer, is it? That's right. I think um, I think that's what appealed more than anything, <laughs> that it, it, it ends in Holland. But um, I think, you know, a few of the boys at the training ground realise what a, a good cause it is for and um, they're, they're willing to, to jump on their bikes as well. And Jimmy's, you know, he's hinted that he might do it as well. Preston manager Simon Grayson's doing it. Ex-England skipper Terry Butcher's doing it as well. Um, so it's going to be an interesting challenge, and I imagine that competitive edge is going to come out, isn't it? Yeah, I think we'll all stay, say at the beginning, that, no, no, let's do it all together. But then, you know, when you see the finish line, people will start to speed up a little bit. <laughs> you know? But, um, no, it's, like I said, I've been on it before, and it's good camaraderie. Um, you keep each other going, and um, it's good that those guys are, are getting involved. I think Lou Fablissett's doing it as well. I think he's done it a few times already. So it'd be good to see him uh, and be able to get back on the bike. And like I said, not, not too taxing on the knees. We've seen over the last few days, uh, the Channel 4 did a stand-up to cancer, didn't they, last yeah. Friday? And that was really successful. How important is it, though, that we don't just hear about this, but people actually put their hand in their pocket and donate for such a worthy cause? I think it's extremely important. And, and like I said, because there's cures for this um, now, uh, it's it's important that we all, all, all as much as we can, mm. Um, put towards it um, you know any loose change that we got that's in our pockets that you know can help this this cause it's, it's important that we give it wouldn't be right being a QBR podcast if we didn't ask you about matters on the pitch um, the small matter well it's not a small matter it's a big matter of a, a London derby on Friday night against Brentford um, QBR go, to it in, go into it in fairly good form despite the defeat to Sheffield Wednesday uh, on Saturday what are your thoughts heading into this one yeah, I mean, you know, it's, uh, we, we got a good result against Fulham in the last derby, uh, away from home. Um, we're back at home now. Uh, we need to give something back to the supporters after the defeat at Sheffield, and it's always about bouncing back, mm. and it's a good game to bounce back in. Um, you know, they'll bring a, a load of supporters, and we'll, have, we'll be full of voice here, and hopefully we can uh, give a performance to, to, to warrant that. And it'd be great to have that strong early start as well, wouldn't it? Because, like you say, the, the place is going to be packed out a Friday night, so people have a couple of beers before coming to the game, so the atmosphere will be extra hot as well. And if we could start on the front foot, a couple of heavy challenges going, then it all helps, doesn't it? I think that's what London Derby is all about, and that's what the fans want to see, that people care about it. You know, they want to win it. And, and as you said, uh, a good heavy cha- challenge, early doors is as good as a goal in, in some of these things, and it does get the crowd right behind you, so hopefully that's what we can do. 
just moving on then, um, Martin, you were back here, I think it was two weeks ago now, wasn't it, for our yeah. game against Reading at Loftus Road and the um, official introduction, as it were, of the Forever Ars Club, our newly formed ex-players association. As a QBR fan, and I, I keep mentioning you're a QBR fan ahead of this game against Brentford. Yeah. Um, how important is it that the club, having perhaps not done so, done it so well over previous years, how well is it that the club now is doing this and is looking after and the welfare of former players is often talked about at a number yeah. of clubs, but integrating these players back in the QBR family as such? Yeah, definitely. I think it's brilliant. And uh, it, was a, it was a great day. Just going back to it, it was a really great day. Met back up with ex-players that I'd seen at the ground. Not played with, obviously, but yeah. Birch and Kevere. But you're talking like Danny Maddox, Clive Wilson. And you're having conversations with people that you wouldn't generally see and have these conversations. I thought it was a really good day. And the more the club can do with it, it's be the better, you know. Because you do want to get these people back to the club because they gave a good service to the yeah, club. Yeah. Not just saying that because I'm here speaking, but they gave a really good service to the club and they care about the club. And they they can identify with everything that's happened in their career at the club and moving forward because no doubt they'd have all watched QPR when they signed here and left, you know, yeah. because that's just what this sort of club does to you mm. if, you've, if you've played a significant part of your career here, and which yet, everyone had. Stan Bowles coming out at the end was great, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, it was and fantastic. I'm sure obviously you spent a see. bit of time with him on the day and he's going through yeah, obviously a difficult time. Yeah, you can see he's going minute. through a very hard time at the moment and, and he's not well and all you can do is wish him wish him well and his family and everything and support him and the club's doing a great job of that and, and I think that, that, like you say, that introduction of that and that was great for Stan and, and the other older players. And your old man was with you. Um, yeah. He seemed to enjoy it as well, which, yeah, which is great, great as well because everybody yeah. gets the option of bringing two guests or three guests or however many I want yeah. with them and that's nice as well yeah, because nice your dad would have dad watched you and he yeah. would have watched those players before him. Definitely and he came down and we had a, we had a lovely day and, and it, it was really nice. It's nice that people did bring their family down to enjoy the event as well, you know? So, so it was lovely. And that's the thing that makes every club unique. There are a lot of similarities across clubs, but what makes each club unique is their history. Yep. QPR's history is unique to QPR. Crystal Palace's Brentford is unique to them. So it's important that the younger fans, I think, know the club's history because Definitely. this is the club you're supporting and it's this history that got us to this point, yeah. good, bad or otherwise. Yep. It's that history that's got us here. So I remember Stan Bowles came in this is, I think, after Stan Bowles' day. He walked back in the tunnel and he walked past the mascots. And this mascot must have been about seven years old. And as Stan walked past him, he shouted, Stan Bowles, legend. This, this kid's seven years yeah. old. But, I mean, that's fantastic. But he, he had an yeah. understanding of who had yeah. just walked past Well, him. he's probably got maybe older brothers. His dad has probably yeah. been QPR. So they've, they've said, listen, that, this is Stan Bowles. Yeah, you yeah. Know? This, the man's a legend, you know. But like you say, every club, there's different eras of fans. Obviously, like age groups, so it moves on. But, but people understanding the history of mm. it and knowing what the players did or, or, or gave service to the club. And this Forever Ours thing is only going to enhance that because I'm sure moving forward, there's going to be more people inducted into it as we go forward as well. So, no, it's brilliant. And what it is for the club, I think over the last few years, obviously with stuff that's happened and a lot of players have moved on now from the era where it was quite a lot of people may have come here for the wrong reasons, you know. Mm -hmm. And I think what the club's doing now is trying to find its identity again to basically know so the fans can identify with the players, the staff. Because I remember when I was here, it was such a togetherness between the players, the fans, the staff, whether it be at the ground or the training ground. There was, the club just felt together and I think mm. that was completely lost over the last four or five years. And I think this is a very good start to bringing that back because the fans, I'm sure I spoke to a few coming in and going out and they thought it was brilliant for it to happen. And 
and it, it's just something that's going to bring the fans back on board as well. It so kind of, the identity's coming back. Kind of all ties in, doesn't it? You talk about the identity being lost, and I think the launch of this, the introduction of four or five young kids on the brink of the first team, mm. um, the manager signing young, hungry, not all British, but with yep. a British core to the squad. And that's what it used to be back like in Martin's yeah. day and you know, when we grew up watching QPR. Yeah, and years before as well, like all the years before. But, but, and that's what it is. The club needs to have something and the fans need to come and, and have something to, Almost, to cheer on yeah. the day. Yeah. And feel to. You know, that we're part of that as well. Not to feel that it's a, it's a separate thing, you know. Mm. I just, Football's I just changed, isn't it? I mean, you know, Hugely. When yeah. did you retire? What year did you retire? Uh, two and a half years ago. So yeah. that? 2014. And football's changed in those two and a half, three yeah. years. But yeah. if you go back to when you joined Rangers in... Putting on 2003. 2003. There we go. Oh, oh, three. Oh, three. Controversial. 03-04 <laughs> season. If you compare football in 2003-04 to football in 2016-17... Mm. Miles apart financially, yeah. Um, you know the, the the demands, the rewards, yeah. Um, the sky money, yeah. It's yeah, it's transformed. It's, 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 it has transformed in the upper two tiers of the yeah. big British yeah, league. The lower two haven't transformed that much. If anything, they could have deteriorated because so many fans are now because of the TV and everything. Yeah. They're all supporting the big clubs. Yeah. Mm. So these yeah. smaller clubs, just for instance, a Wickham, as we spoke about. People are watching all the big clubs on telly. The young kids aren't going to go and support Wickham. They're going to go and support Man United, Liverpool. So they could be losing fans, which means they're losing revenue, but the bigger clubs are gaining much more revenue. I think (laughs) there should be much more of a spread of the money. I know Sky have done an amazing job for football, but I think maybe the clubs should look at it themselves and think, do you know what, we're going to destroy all the younger clubs. But it's became, as you said, where it's changed, a business. Yeah, You could argue the positives and the negatives, the rights and wrongs about football exactly, 10 years yeah, ago yeah. compared to football nowadays yeah. I think we'll save that for another podcast <laughs> yeah, exactly. um, with the Forever Isles Club like you say it's a, it's the start of, of something that's going to grow long term what, yeah. what are the, the next steps for it um, I mean I'm involved in it. obviously Andy Sinton is as well he's not with us this week but the the next steps are that we'll just be continuing to induct people in so we've got Ray Wilkins and Mark Lazarus uh, down there on Friday night which will be great and there's various other plans throughout the season so Players that legendary players, I, I think of someone like Alan McDonald, um, mm. for example, who are no longer with us. You know, you could even talk of someone like Ray Jones, who mm, was starting yeah. his career, and we were hoping to go on to bigger and better things. We'll be inducting players like that in posthumously with their families and their friends. Um, it's it's something that's going to snowball um, going forward. Um, how long's a piece of string? This could go on forever, and we yeah. really hope it does because I think every player with the exception of one or two, and everyone keeps saying to me, why hasn't Jose Basingua been inducted in that? I think everybody <laughs> knows a reason behind that. Um, but there's so many players that have worn this shirt with distinction mm. on the pitch, and there's various players that have worked wonders for the club off the pitch that are sometimes unsung heroes that you don't hear about. Um, and I think, yeah, going forward, it's you know it, we're really in the infancy here, but it, it's going to flourish going forward for sure. Well, Jordan, firstly, thanks for joining us on the Loftcast. And there's only one place to start, really. You came off against Bristol City with what looked like a, a hamstring problem. Yeah. Firstly, is that what it was and how are you now? Yeah, it was just a reoccurrence of what happened uh, against Birmingham. Maybe it was, maybe I came back a bit too soon. Obviously, I want to get back as soon as possible. But maybe that was a bit too soon. So hopefully I've been working hard, being in every day, and hopefully that's cleared up now. So as far as you're concerned, fit and available for selection for Friday? Yeah, that's the aim. Um, I don't know how much part I will play on Friday, but um, of course I'll see 
over the coming days now how I react to training and then we'll, we'll go from there. And you're back to full training? Yeah, yeah, today is my first day back. It's good to be, you know, around the lads and that everyone's in good spirits and looking forward to the game. And looking at your career so far, it's obviously been a very short career. You're still yeah. only 22, incredibly. You're not used to not playing games. You look at when you were at Charlton, you played 47 games in your first full season, then 42. So you're used to just churning these games out. Yes, just listen, it's what, I, it's what I, you know, love doing, playing football all the time. Yeah, it is hard, you know, because championship's very hard. You have loads of back-to-back games, but it's when I'm at my happiest is when I'm on that pitch playing football. So, yeah. You've featured in 12 of our 17 games so far, so it's not like you've been hugely injured. I suppose it's just that niggling injury that's just yeah. curtailing you a little bit, is it? Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, been, a, it's been a good start. I've been play, you know, playing in most of the games, which, you know, some people probably didn't think I would do it coming to such a such a good club with such good players. But I've I've integrated well and I, I owe my teammates you know all the praise because they've made me feel so much comfortable coming into the club. Have you surprised yourself with how regularly you are featuring? Uh, not really, you know, because I know that you know I'm confident in my own ability and I know that I had to you know I worked hard over pre-season, so I knew that you know I would come in you know and, and try and you know com- compete for a place. And lucky enough, I, I've got in the team. And been playing, but you know it's not to be complacent now. So when I've been injured now, I've been you know in the gym working on other bits that I can improve on, as well as you know trying to get back fit. So hopefully I come back sharper and better than I was when I when I came out. And I bet you just want these wingers to be fit, so you can get back into the middle instead of this versatility. <laughs> yeah, you know, listen, I, like I say in all my interviews, I'm just happy to be out there contributing and playing for the team. And if it's out wide or if it's in the middle, listen, I'll put in 100% and, and hope to perform well and, and contribute to the team. You look at the younger players that have come into side, that seems to be the, the DNA of QPR now going back to its roots, if you like, and you look at yourself, Maslongo, Ariel Borishuk, all very similar in certain ways and young players who are progressing their careers. Yeah. And people like Carl Henry have obviously got a very important job to do as well and experience they bring in that different style. Yeah. But you look at whether it be injury to yourself or to... Ariel or Maslonga being away on international duty, you've only actually featured in the same side twice all season. Yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy. Like, it's, like I said, we have a we have a very good squad. You know, it's not just um, it's not just the eleven players that are on a pitch. Like the people are on the bench and people that might might not get in the squad. You know, I wasn't in the squad for the game against. Um, Reading and I started the game against Bristol City so you know you might not be in a squad one day and you'll be starting the next so and we have that quality in our in our squad as well there's you know strength and depth in numbers so you have to be ready you have to be ready each time you go out there because you know manager you can be called on at any time Do you feel the managers watching you not you in particular but watching you in training you think I've got to be on it I've got to be on it That's the main difference between being at this club and being at other clubs or my club being Charlton that you know there's no there's no respite you have to turn up in training every day and you have to give 100% because he will pick you out if you're not putting in that 100% work but that's good you know in general you need that you need that to improve and that's what I find is a, is a big difference being at QPR Does he pick people out in front of their teammates if they're not doing it he'll stop he's the not, play and he'll let you know He's not embarrassed you know he's not embarrassed <laughs> you, if you're not 100% and you're not working hard you're not doing something you're meant to do he will, he will tell you and, and that's what I'm saying that's a, that's a good thing you know so it keeps you sharp it keeps you you know keeps you ready and, and keeps you improving and that's what we need or that's what I needed coming to this club so um, no it, it does benefit me back to back player of the year awards at Charlton your first two full seasons yeah. do you feel you almost needed to come out of your comfort zone if you like and put yourself into a situation where like you've just said if you're not on it suddenly you might find yourself out of the team perhaps 
I might be doing a disservice here, but perhaps you didn't have that threat when you were at Charlton. Yeah, of course. It's, it's everything's new, but I, like I, like you said, I think it was something that was needed. You know, I needed to be you know thrown out of my comfort zone. I've been I was at that club for what a good ten, eleven years, and it was just everything was comfortable. So, you know, even though I've not moved out of London, it's still a different environment. I believe it's a it's a better environment for me. Just the club as a general is just more professional in my in my opinion. So it's nice. You know, it's, I feel like I can improve and take my game to the next level at this club. So. Um, no, it's good to be here and I'm very happy to be here. And does that professionalism come from the manager? Yeah, it comes from the manager, it comes from all the staff, it comes from even just silly things, not silly things, well, like things of, like food. Everything's like much better, much professional, everything's like, um, it's just all around like better, everybody's more professional. Even to the players, you know, the experience of the players playing in the Premier League, like I, I take so much information from, from them players and it helps so much on the pitch, so... It's just I'm just very happy with myself and just looking to work hard and to to improve. And you're not seen as an academy graduate. You're seen as a a professional player at the football club. I suppose when you've been at a club for ten years, you you're almost seen as part of the furniture. Yeah, exactly, exactly. It's 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 nice to to be you know to be respected in a in a different way. Obviously at Charlton, I was the academy graduate coming up, but obviously I think it comes with the games you play. And because I've played nearly 150 games on a championship, people you know they take that into consideration and they give you that, that respect that you deserve. And so you're perfectly placed to talk about the young academy graduates that start to get into the QPR first team. Yeah. Do you find yourself looking out for them a little bit because you know precisely what they're going for? Yeah, they're not, they're not, they're not too, you know, they're not very, very much, they're like only a couple of years younger than me. So I know what they are feeling, do you know what I mean? And it's nice to, you know, just to like give them like pep talks and make sure they're all right just in general things when they're like walking in, in the morning and that just to see how they are because it is a big transition from the under 23s football but you know they're good quality players and they're they're, they're nice humble boys so it's they they gel into the squad well and and it's nice to see you know people like Nico getting getting some games in there and I suppose there's the, the whole element of getting used to being seen as a first team player I mean these youngsters they still actually change in the uh under 21s, under 23s dressing room because that's where all their, their teammates are but they're starting to break, well they're breaking into the first team so it's almost like bridging the gap, isn't it? Exactly, exactly but I know it's something that's probably a bit di- probably a bit different for them obviously being still in the under 23s change room but it's, you know, they have, to, they have to work hard and they have to, you know, get their games up so one day they do move into that first team change room that's the goal for them and then they can be in and around the, the first team guys. Some people listening to this might think, well, they're first-team players. They should be straight into the QPR yeah, dressing room. Yeah, but yeah. I would imagine there's a school of thought there not to give them too much too soon, still have that hunger to work to get to where they want to get to. Yeah, of course. You're exactly right in what you said. They're, they have to you know, they have to work hard. They can't just play one game in the first team and think, yeah, that's, that's them. You know, They have to be consistent. And if they want to take their game to the next level and be a regular in that first team, the hard work, you know, it doesn't stop with that one appearance. They have to, you know, keep on working hard and training and keep performing because there's going to be players coming back from from injury that are, are going to want their place back. So it's going to be very competitive in the team. But that's good. That's what you need because that's when you get the best out of yourself. And looking ahead then to Brentford, you're hoping to feature, play some part. You missed out on the West London derby earlier in the season against Fulham. Yeah. And that was some game to miss out on. It would have been great to be involved in that, I would imagine. Yeah, no, it was. A, listen, it was a, it was, a, it was a great game, and you know, I was so, so delighted for the lads at the time that they, they got because I was a big victory. I feel we needed in that game, and for it to be a West London derby, and for you know, for Adrissa, it was a great, it was a great moment for him, and um, 
uh, we I hope that we can get the same kind of result come Friday. You know all about London derbies. You had the cheek to score against us at Loftus Road. Yeah. Are they extra special? Yeah, they always are extra special because the crowd, the atmosphere, the stadium's all packed, the build-up to the game. Obviously, this one's live on TV. It's just the whole... The whole um, the whole experience is a, is a is a good day and but as players you know we just treat it as kind of like we don't get too caught up in the in the media stuff and that we just obviously we do it but we don't get caught up in it because obviously that can you know kind of, me personally it can it can affect your performance but I think I'm experienced enough now and I've had enough you know London derbies that you know you just have to take it as another game and let all your emotions go on the pitch. Is it the first five minutes, first ten minutes that are important because everyone's trying to get a foothold and get the crowd going? Yeah, you know, yeah, every minute of the game is important. But no, you, I do understand. You know, you need to set the tone right. You know, get the crowd behind you, and, and a good start is very important. Great stuff, and just finally, fingers crossed, we can get that start and get the three points on Friday evening. Because looking at the table, both yeah. Brentford and QPR, while it's still early days, will optimistically be looking up the table and seeing neither side is too far off the top six. Exactly, that's the goal. I wouldn't have come to this club if I didn't think we can go in, into the top six. But you know, we need to put some some runs together and some some good victories together, and, and we'll be up there. So Jordan Cousins, Paul, I know you spoke to him there earlier this week. He's looking like he could be fighting fit and ready for this weekend. Yeah, he's back to full training now. He had the, the hamstring injury, which he picked up against Bristol City. And I think it was a case of he felt it a little bit. and Sensibly. He's, yeah, he, he wanted to play on because he hasn't actually had a, a stop-start period when you look at the, the games he's played. I think he's played 12 games. Mm. But of those... When you look at his last two years with Charlton, he played 47 in his first full season, 42 last season. He's used to just churning games out week after week. So he's had a little bit of an injury problem by his standards. And yeah, like you say, he was sensible. He felt it. And as a precaution, he let the medical team know. He came off. So obviously he missed the game up at Sheffield Wednesday. But he's back to full training now and hoping to be involved. And he's a player. It'd be interesting to get your thoughts on him. He reminds me a bit of you. Yeah, I've seen him play a few times uh, since he's been in. And as you said, he's a very, very fit lad. And mm. I didn't know that his record of games was like in the 40s for the last three or four seasons. Yeah. So that's obviously shows that he's a very fit lad, very professional to be playing that many games. And he's probably frustrated to be picking up little niggles like yeah. that that do hold you up rather than... Sometimes if you get niggles, it's more annoying than if you get a proper injury. Because with a proper injury, you know, look, I've, that's it. I've got, I've got a month I've out. I've got to have time out. If it's a niggle, yeah. you're thinking, am I all right? Am mm. I not all right? Can I play or can I not? So Wrecks your head. And then yeah. when you're out there, you're thinking, oh, yeah, you're, you're, you'll be it. thinking about yeah. it a little bit. So, no, it's, it's good to see that he's fit. But, no, he's, he's done well. He's, he's very fit, lad, like I said. He gets, box he gets to stuck box. in, box to box, bit of here, there and everywhere, you know. And I suppose the only thing that he's just probably... Would add to his games maybe some goals. Yeah, you are often you know. accused of ratting about on the pitch. He does a bit yeah. of ratting as well, doesn't yeah, he? Yeah, he does a lot of that, and so does Lenargo <laughs> as well. They Lenargo, both do. Yeah. They both yeah. do that, mm. and that's invaluable for a, for a team because you're breaking up the play. And if yeah. you if you've got a high press on and you've got two people like that mm. who are very fit, want to tackle, want to get stuck in, they break play up, and you can you can play from that. You know, we're playing obviously a three man midfield at the minute, and I think most people certainly if you look on social media. Um, which seems to be the uh, the judge of all judges in mm-hmm. in the modern world. Luongo Cousins Borishuk appears to be the, the midfield three of choice amongst QBR fans, at least. It's incredible to think they've only started two games together this season, Birmingham and Bristol City, and that is almost an underlying problem of finding this level of consistency that the manager's craving. Yeah, it is. And what I always find interesting about Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank, he doesn't like talking about the injuries. 
I know some managers who they can't wait to talk about the injury problems I'm dealing with, and he's yeah, out, yeah, and he's yeah. out. A few ex-QPR yeah. managers, I can tell <laughs> you that. <laughs> I've got I've got seven of my first eleven out, so it's difficult. Yeah. Blah blah blah. But he, when you ask him, what, what's the situation with it? He said, I don't. There's no point talking about them. They're right. not. Fit he's not for making me. excuses. He, and yeah. he's, well, he's, he's confident in his squad and his other players to come exactly. in and do the same job. So, and that's how it should be. Sometimes. So if you were if asking, you were a player that was in because a couple are out. You don't want to hear your manager saying, well, my me, me best two central midfielders are out because you're saying, well, hang on, but you're then, killing me here. You're yeah, saying, no, I'm only here for But, but as a player, you, you've got to be mentally strong and think, right, this is my chance. Yeah. So I'm going to grab it and hopefully I'm going to stay on the side and they're going to have to wait till either I'm injured mm. or I'm suspended or whatever it may be to get their game. So sometimes you will sit on the sidelines, but when you get your chance, you've got to take it. Yeah, and I'd yeah. imagine someone like Jack Robinson, who's not too far away, is that's exactly something he's looking at because Jake Bidwell's out for yeah. up to four months of total of... The manager's confirmed that Jack will be back and available long before Jake is. Yeah. So if you're Jack Robinson, you're thinking, right, yeah, this got, is my window. You've got to try and hold the position down. Mm. Come in, do well, and then make somebody get you out of the side, you know? And if you're doing well, then you're not going to be taken out of the side, or you should not be taken out of the side. You suffered a fair share of injuries, if you don't yeah. mind me saying, throughout yeah. your career. How tough, because Jack Robinson is a great example. Jack Robinson, since he's come to QPR, has had one injury nightmare after yeah. another, it yeah. seems psychologically, mentally, how tough is that as a player well, to deal with all these setbacks? That's all, that's all it is about. It's your, how mentally strong you can be to come through the setbacks. I mean, towards the end, I did my cruciate and then I came back for four months and uh, I did it again and I was out for about a year. So that was extremely tough period. I had 18 months in the gym, basically, which was extremely tough. But as I said, you just got to be strong. You got to just do do your job and do your exercise, do everything you're given and hopefully come back stronger and what? I'm sure giving, be given a fair crack of the whip to get back in the side and stuff. Mm. What is the toughest part about it, if you like? I mean, it's mentally challenging. It's You're on your own in the gym looking out the window. That's, that is you, the hardest part. Watching <laughs> on everybody else looking train. At, you almost want to yeah. go on, move the treadmill. You almost want to go not go to the training ground a lot. Jamie Mackie said that, and he, yeah. with his recent injury, yeah. he said the worst thing is you'll be sitting on the bike Yeah. And at Harlington, the bike you overlook look, the pitches, overlooks yeah. the pitch. You, you almost don't want to go to the training ground when everyone's there because they're all happy. They're all. They, it doesn't mean you have to be sad the whole time because you understand your situation. But they're all happy. They're training. They're preparing for a match, and that's all you want to be doing. And, and you, you can't do it. And, yeah. and that is where you where it's tough as well because all week. But come the end of the week when it's coming towards Saturday, you're mm. thinking, oh, God, I would love to be preparing for that. And, and you're in doing your exercising, knowing you've got another six months before that's yeah. going to happen. And it's been one back into the feet of Sherry. In the area! No! Sherry! It's a third goal for Queen's Park Rangers to Sharon Sherry with it. Ali Farley with the setup. He's getting the acclaim from his teammates as well. We're bouncing now in our gantry position on the Ellerslie Road stand. The game is and Tajar and Cherry makes it four home games on the bounce where he's found the back of the net. Finally then, switching matters back to Brentford this weekend. We've spoke about how important the atmosphere. Brentford head into the game um, having not won in four and failed to score in three of those. Um, but a Brentford side that on their day at this level this season under a very good manager um, appear to be having that quality that you need to compete in the upper tier of this division. Yeah, I mean, they, they did it a couple of years ago and they got rid of yeah. Warburton which was a very strange decision but Moneyball it was all about how their philosophy was wasn't yeah, it, it was, not... they, they were signing players off stats and things yeah. I think I'm not I'm not entirely sure how that was ever going to work but he's gone to <laughs> Rangers and done a good job again hasn't he but 
No, they've. I think they started the season slowly. As I remember, I've not followed too much of them. I think they followed, started the season slow, then they picked up and had a really good yeah, period. A really good run. And then they've dropped off again now. So it's a bit different to basically our season. We started quite well, mm. dropped off, and we're starting to pick up again. Yeah, so it's, ab- it's, it's should, be, should be a good game. And obviously both teams are going in on the same points, sitting mid-table-ish. So it's, it's, there's a big reward because the, whoever wins on Friday night is basically going to push themselves probably into the top 10. And as a ready fan, to kick on again. if you win a derby on a Friday night, that means you've got one hell of a good weekend. weekend. Well, you can go out Friday, Saturday and Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> but if you, you do look at that, like you say, both teams are thinking, right, if we get the three points, we're right on the edge of the playoffs. It does make for what should be quite an open game because I yeah. can't see both I can't see either team coming into this one like for instance if you're playing a Newcastle you think you know a point's yeah. a great result for instance Sheffield Wednesday away if we can keep the unbeaten run points a great result yeah. I don't think either manager or either set of players is thinking we'll come away with a point that's a good result well we touched on it earlier I played in four or five of these and I won one of them you don't want to come away with a point it's, mm. a, it's a local derby you want to win the game so it's a case of going out. I mean, last year I was at the game. We won 3-0 here. So that, again, would be obviously fantastic. Mm. But that wasn't a great quality game until we scored the first goal. I can't even remember who's got Junior the goal. Junior scored a great yeah, goal, didn't he? That yeah. was it on the, on the school end. Curled one yeah. into the top yeah. corner, yeah. So that, there was, that was a bit of a poor game up until then. And a bit like when no one wants to lose. Yeah. Yeah. But I think in a derby, you've got to go out and win the game. Do Not you... be defensive. You've got to go out and win the game. Be positive. Play with a high intensity and get in their faces and and get on top of them basically yeah without I'm sorry without going too gung-ho obviously yeah you, you, can't you go need gung-ho, to have that yeah you've got to just get get that high intensity press on and, and try and get playing in their half get the fans behind you you know a, a player such as yourself do you go into particularly these games and within reason think the first opportunity I get I'm going absolutely. to just absolutely smash someone without he doubt. used to do that do you, you consciously think I, I used to do that most games really game. but <laughs> Even more so in the derby. you going as well as the crowd? I think it's smash a bit of everything. And, and all going. the other players. Yeah. And Did, all you know, your we're teammates. Talking quickly, uh, sorry to interject, we were talking about how the game's changed though. In your day, and that's only five years ago, yeah. say, you'd have got away with that. Yeah. In today's, if you put a bad tackle in after yeah. a minute, you're booked. Yeah, you've yeah. got to, so you, you've got you've to be got more controlled. Line, you've got to be a bit more yeah. controlled now. That's where right. the if game's you do it gone. Early, you tend to get away. Yeah, you with tend to get away in the first five ten minutes. So that, but I don't that's think you do nowadays. Do. I don't think you do. I think if you make a bad tackle, you've got to be clever about it. You've got to be clever about it. Just sly elbow. I do remember Peter Ramage played. I can't remember who it was against, and he was playing right back. And didn't mind the tackle. He'd been told whoever their left winger was. From what I heard, he'd been told. He won't fancy it if you smash him early. Yeah. So smash him early. I'll tell you what, how Peter Ramish yeah. stayed on the pitch. Yeah. I do remember it that story. Was yeah. Yeah. Outrageous there's, 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 there's been plenty of them, believe me. But, but going back to the, <laughs> to the QPR game on Friday, yeah. the first 10 minutes, I always think, are massive. If mm. you can get on top of them, first 10 minutes, get the noise in the stadium yeah. up, you know. Get last some tackles you going is... in. The last thing you want to be back foot, conceding corners possibly, yeah. just you know, sitting in, fans are getting nervous yeah. and just creates that tense atmosphere. And then that creeps onto the pitch. If the first Definitely. 10 minutes, Brentford yeah. are popping it around, we can't exactly. get near them, the fans start getting a I bit I think the agitated. first half hour of, the, of last year's game, Brentford were on top. Mm. They probably should have gone in front. I know they were keeping the ball, they were playing really good football, but they didn't get their goal. 
we defended well on the day actually, and then we went into then like say Hoylet got the first goal and it and it. Went You'd imagine that would probably be Brentford's approach as well is get the ball and keep it and just frustrate. Yeah, try and quiet the crowd down. Quiet the crowd down. Yeah. I remember last time McCormack um, came back into the side, having been out injured for quite a while. He's obviously suspended, so that will be a mm. loss to them. But I think in the final third they've got Scott Hogan who scored eight and fifteen and is arguably yeah. probably just behind Dwight Gale, the informed striker in the division. We're going to have to keep him quiet, but in yeah. in Steve. Even Corker and Nedham and Nua, who you'd expect to be the centre-back pair, and they've defended well of late. Yeah. yeah. Well, you see it against Tammy Abrahams, who's, who's another player who's in hot form this season at yeah, Bristol so City. He'd probably be in that group. And they, they did a, they did a great job between them against him. Yeah. And I think they almost like that challenge of, you, you get the impression of facing someone who's yeah, one of the they, better they know they'll be switched on all game. Mm. You, know, you, know what, you know, sometimes when you've got a centre-forward up against you who's, who you know is in good form, you're a bit more switched on yourself. And they're two top players. I mean, they've been at Man City. Steve Corker has been at a few of the top clubs, yeah. Liverpool, Tottenham's, you know. So, no, it'd be a good test for them. And he's obviously the lad's in form. So, but if them two play well, I fancy they'll keep him quiet and we can push on. And what about in our final third? And the manager, I don't think personally, and I'm not sure the manager... Um, I think the manager probably would agree with me, which is rare. Um, Silla and Poulter... It's not Silla and Poulter, it's Silla or Poulter really, isn't it? Who, who would you go with on Friday night? At the moment, I'd probably go with Silla. He's just scored the winner against Bristol City. Yeah, scored the winner against Fulham, of course. Winner the winner. So he's obviously probably pretty confident and I think you've just got to go with your confident players. I see, I was at the Reading game, he came on, he looked quite sharp, quite quick. I mean, didn't get too long, but... But it's, he offers something completely different, yep. I think, to what Poulter offers. And Poulter's if almost more him, of a battering ram, isn't he, for people yep. to feed off. And that, I think he I could don't do, mean sound disrespectful, yeah, yeah. but he he's there to win with flick-ons, hold the ball on, I think hold the he ball could up do with someone with him. Maybe even the wash it and up with him. Somebody yeah. who can run off him, mm. who can play off him. Because he, he does get hold of the ball well at times. And some, playing with somebody might suit him better. Whereas if you're playing with a 10, which has been cheery, he doesn't really go past the front man. He yeah. wants to play in front and get it to feet and, and build the play and make something happen. You know, so that could it could work well to have that. Finally, then, what do we think? Um, it's going to be uh, a rip-roaring affair. It's going to be wholehearted. It's going to be cold-blooded, I'd assume. Um, what do you think, Martin? QPR win on Friday night? QPR win 2-0. I think that's the perfect way to end. Martin Rowlands, thanks for joining us on the Loftcast. We'll be back with episode nine very, very soon. 